I'm going to say to you this morning that I am just overwhelmed. As I stand before you this morning, uh, just having sung these songs, and as your pastor, I have the privilege of looking around the room. I was toward the back this morning. We're singing songs of faith because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I look around the room and I see widows whom I've been with when you buried your husbands. And you stand here and sing because he lives. I can face tomorrow. I see I see you sing when you've you're going through now a divorce after 41 years of marriage. And you lift your hand and you sing the songs to the Lord. I looked around and watched you sing who are right now going to chemo and radiation. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I looked at you who in the past six months buried your son who died the most unbelievable death. And you sang, because he lives. I am so proud of you that you walk with God when your husbands don't come to church and you beg God every week, every week, God, just maybe this will be the week. And I just want you to know as your pastor that I stand so humbled to preach to you whose faith is so evident and so obvious in a God who is good all the time. Amen? When life is good, he's good. And when life is horrible, God is still good. Amen? He's good. And one day we'll cross the river. We'll fight life's final war with pain, whatever that may be for you. And we'll see the lights of glory and we'll know with our eyes, we know with our eyes of faith already that he reigns. So I'm going to try to preach today that you have already preached a brilliant, glorious, gracious sermon. Thank you. We continue in this series, City on a Hill, this passage, Matthew 5, that we are looking at kind of to intro the sermons every week is astounding to me. And it is astounding to me because God looks at a group of people, Jesus looks at a group of people whom you and I would not choose to begin any endeavor. And he looks at those people as they stand there, they're aimless, they're purposeless, they're helpless, they are poor, they have no political connections, they don't know the wealthy people. God looks at those people and says to them, You are the light of the world. 
Uh, How is it that Jesus could even conceivably say to those kind of people, you are the light of the world, but he does. He says, you are a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. And I would say that to you this morning, you may sit here thinking, Jerry, I don't have these certain qualifications, or I look around me and I see people uh, uh, who have more money than I, or more time than I, or they have more education than I do. I, I just am not where they are. How is it that God could ever use me? Or, or Jerry, if you just knew the failures and the mistakes that I've made in life, how is it that God could ever use me? If Jerry, how, how could this happen? Jesus looks at these people that none of us would ever choose to begin a movement that would last for better than, than 2,000 years. And he says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. And he says that to you and me today. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. And it brings us then to how does he advance, still shine the light today? And it is through the church. And that brings us to ask the question, what is the mission, the purpose of the church? And Betty has just read that. For you, many of you know this as the Great Commission. Interestingly enough, in my almost 20 years of ministry, I've never preached from this passage. The Great Commission. And in Matthew 28, we find Jesus who has asked his disciples to meet him up in Galilee, which in and of itself is interesting. It is away from the epicenter of religion, which would have been Jerusalem. This is in the north. He has asked them to meet him on a mountain. We know not which mountain it is in Galilee, and they've met him there. We're not sure if there are only 11 as they're mentioned here or if 500 others that Paul talks about have joined him there. But Jesus is on a mountain. The disciples disciples are there waiting on him. And Jesus shows up to meet them there where he has asked them to meet him. In this conversation with him, between him and the disciples, we learn this incredibly important fact. If you get nothing else from the whole sermon today, here's what you need to tuck away in your mental uh, uh, pocket and take home with you. The promise of his power and the promise of his presence enable us to accomplish the purpose of his church. The promise of of his power, and the promise of his presence enable us to accomplish the purpose of his church. Moses at one point said, God, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. That is the point of this, that unless we have his authority and unless we have his presence, we cannot move forward. The promise of his power and the promise of his presence enable us to accomplish the purpose of his church. 
What is happening here in Matthew 28 is Jesus, when they see him, they worshiped. We'll talk about that in a moment. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You must understand that they had seen Jesus do some pretty remarkable things in their time with him. They had seen him uh, walk on water. They had seen him raise the, the boy who was dead in the casket of his, uh, of his uh, mother, the, the widow. She, her only hope was in that casket. They had watched Jesus do some pretty incredible, uh, amazing, remarkable things only to see all of it end on a cross. And as good Jews, they knew that that he was cursed from that moment on because uh, Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so when Jesus ultimately was publicly beaten, stripped naked, uh, died on a cross, every hope they had for their ambition for him was gone. It was all gone. Just like that. They scattered all of them except John. He hung out at the cross. All the rest of them fled as most of us would have done in that moment. And they ran like crazy. But three days later, Jesus was resurrected. And he showed up to them. And this is one of those appearances. Some scholars believe this happened about Four or five weeks after the resurrection, this conversation right here. And in this conversation, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of it. Well, when did this happen? I believe he is referring to what Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Daniel sees a vision, I think, of this unfolding. In Daniel 7, verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That phrase refers to Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days. That designation belongs to God the Father. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When I read that, here's my thought. It's simply my thought. I have... No hard evidence, of course, for this. It's my understanding of Daniel chapter 7. Jesus is showing up before the Ancient of Days. When did that happen? I think it happened after the crucifixion and before the resurrection. It's just my thought. And he stands before the Father, having taken on the sins of the world, having been mercilessly beaten having been ruthlessly treated. You see, I think there's a connection between Jesus' prayer in John 17, where Jesus said, Father, this is before his crucifixion, 
glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. And I think then this appearance before the Father, the ancient of days, when the Father looks at him and says, well done, and here you go. From this point on, all dominion belongs to you. You were shamefully beaten, mercilessly crucified. I will gloriously resurrect you and nations will bow down and worship you. You see, there was something about Jesus' body post-resurrection that was different than Jesus' body pre-resurrection. He could walk through a wall without uh, any trouble at all. He didn't need a door to get into a room. It was quite a remarkable thing that he could do. And he looks at them and says, this kind of authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. The implication of that is the authority that I have, I now use on your behalf. What has been given to me has now been put to your disposal that you may use it, that you may go in light of that authority. Go. It's probably six or seven years ago, Lincoln Walters was then uh, the principal at Marion Christian Academy, and he was trying to raise some money. I had a friend in Asheville, and he called me up, and he said, Jerry, would you go sit down with me with this friend? And I said, sure, that you know, and so I did. And so I, I would say this guy's an acquaintance of mine in Asheville. That would be a better way to say it. And so we go to meet with this guy in his building in downtown Asheville, and we sit down, and we talk, and we go through everything, and Lincoln presents his case, and we're done. And we get ready to go, and this guy's filthy, stinking rich. I mean, he's just super wealthy, and perhaps he can help the school, and that's our goal, and we get ready to leave. We parked in his parking deck across the road. We get ready to leave, and he looks at us, and he says to us, where are you parked? And we said, in the parking deck. And he said, okay. And he hands us a card, and it has his name on it. And he said, just give that to the guys you leave. And I said, okay. And so we head out, and uh, we go over to the parking deck, and the card just simply has his name on it. And the dude owns the parking deck. So I guess he determines who pays and who doesn't, right? And I simply hand it to the guys I leave, and I don't have to pay to park. You might say with great precision that I left the parking deck on the authority of the guy who owned it. That's why I didn't have to pay. When you teach your class, you teach with the calling card of none other than Jesus Christ in your hand. It's his authority given to you. When I preach, I don't preach based on my own ability. No, it's his authority. When you share the gospel, it's his authority. When you pray with someone, it's his authority. It's his power that is promised to you. Life change occurs because this authority has been handed over in some way to us. He has established the church, which has his stamp of approval, his stamp of authority. The promise of his power 
and the promise of his presence enable us to accomplish the purpose of the church? And that leads us to ask the question, then what is the purpose of the church? Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then Jesus tells us how we are to do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. That's why we exist. Please hear me. There is no other institution like the church anywhere. We exist to make disciples. That's why we exist. We exist to see lost people. Some of you are lost without Christ in here this morning. Lost people come to Christ and then live their lives for Christ. That's why we exist. You could tag a whole bunch of other things onto the church. But Jesus said right here, I've got this authority given to me in light of the authority that I have. I give it to you so that you may go and make disciples. Two things you do. You baptize and you teach. The word baptize literally means to immerse. It is a picture, baptism is, of dying to your old self and raising to live an entirely new life. So when someone is baptized, it is this initiatory right into the Christian faith. It doesn't save you. It is an outward sign of an inward work. It is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality in your life. So when you go through the waters of baptism, you are saying to everyone who is watching, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was dead and now I'm alive. I once was empty and now I'm full. I once was hopeless and now I'm hopeful. I once was helpless and now I am helped. That's what baptism says. And so we baptize believers, followers of Christ, as they demonstrate their newfound faith in Christ. And then we teach them. That means that discipleship, that evangelism rather, only begins with conversion and follows all the way through someone's life as we watch them grow. Now, what do we teach? Do we teach information? No. Colleges and universities do that, and they do a good job of it. I'm an adjunct professor at Montreat. I'll do that Tuesday night. Uh, No, we don't teach information. Please hear me. We teach transformation. Those are two different things. The church is wearied of people who know loads of stuff and there's no change in their lives. That's dangerous. We teach transformation. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Not to know it. If your aim is, oh, I just want more knowledge, I just want more knowledge, I just want more knowledge. Okay, 
if it doesn't evidence itself in any life change, there's a problem. Jesus said, teaching them to observe. He said, Jerry, how do we do it? Luke 24 gives us some insight. I love what happens in Luke 24. Jesus has died. He has resurrected. And after he has died and resurrected, the disciples have scattered. And he, there are two guys who are headed out of town from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're talking about everything that's happened. Now remember I said Jesus had a pretty amazing body. Like he could do some pretty amazing things post-resurrection. And so he simply pops up along the road with them. He just shows up. And when he does, he listens in for a little bit. And they're talking. And Jesus plays dumb. He plays ignorant. And he says to them, as he listens in, he's playing ignorant. He says to them, well, what are you talking about? And they look at him with this incredulous look on their face because you can tell by what they say. Where have you been? Have you not heard of everything that has happened in Jerusalem over the past few days? How this man named Jesus was an amazing prophet and he was teaching and preaching and then he was crucified. We had hoped, is what they said, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. We just knew he was the one. What did Jesus do? Did he kick him in the shins and go, you big dummies? No, he didn't do that. He'd go, you ignorant. You know, I've been with you all this time. Don't you know that? No. He opened the word. All right? Obviously, all they have was the Old Testament. And Luke 24, verse 27 says this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He preached himself from the Old Testament. He started with Genesis. Moses refers to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He started with Genesis, and he preached Jesus. Exodus, and he preached Jesus. Leviticus, and he preached Jesus. Numbers, and he preached Jesus. Deuteronomy, and he preached himself. He preached himself. That's what disciple-making is. It is declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ from all of the scriptures. Teaching Jesus. Every single sermon ought to make a beeline toward Jesus. Everyone. Every Bible fellowship lesson ought to make a beeline toward Jesus. Real marriage ultimately leads to Jesus Christ. It's all about him. All of scripture is all about him. You could go in the Old Testament and you ought to look for him because he himself in his own teaching teaches himself there that's what he did that's what we do as a church we make disciples so here's the question diagnostic question for you january is a great time to do this when you consider yourself january 2014 
compared to January 2013, are you closer to or farther away from God? How would you honestly answer that question? Do you love Him more? Or about the same? Or has your love for Him diminished in the past year? It's so helpful at important times like your birthday and like January is the beginning of a new year to take spiritual inventory and say, where am I? God, God, where am I? Am I growing toward you to love you more, to know you better? Am I drifting away from you? So the promise of his power and the promise of, of his presence enable us to accomplish the mission of his church, which is to make disciples. That's why our purpose statement here at Grace is so simple. Exalting Christ, transforming lives, embracing a community. That's our purpose statement. Why is it that? When they saw Jesus coming, what did they do? They worshipped him. Do you realize they had never done that before? Do you realize in all they're hanging out with him, they hadn't worshipped him. They had hung out with him. They had seen him do some pretty amazing things. But they had not fallen down and worshipped him. And the word used for worship here is the word meaning to, to, to fall down. They fell down. They, they realized this Jesus they had hung out with was a lot more than, they, than what they thought he was. And they worshiped him, exalting Christ. That's why we come into this place on Sunday mornings and give primacy to the singing of the songs and the preaching of the word. We invite people to worship. It's why Adrian early tonight at youth will preach the gospel to those students. And Josh Hayes right now in kids' worship is preaching the gospel to those children, exalting Christ. Worship is absolutely critical and, and essential transforming lives right here teaching them to do to observe to observe to do we live to see lives changed we live to see people go from darkness to light and then turning those people out to embrace a community be it mcdowell county or madagascar wherever it is Embrace the world. Uh, let's look at the promise of his presence. Let me get back to Matthew 28. Promise of his presence. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, meaning check this out, I am with you. What? Always. I am with you what, church? Always. What does always mean? It means always, doesn't it? There's no hefty, lofty definition. Do you know what always means? It means as a sophomore in college. It means as a divorcee. It means 
as a cancer patient. It means when you're hospitalized. It means barren womb. It means success in your job. It means new baby. That's what it means. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Always and for all time, we might say. This penniless preacher turned powerful prince looks at them and says, I'm not going anywhere. I am with you always. I experienced this twice this week as a dad. Trent having crazy issues with his ears right now. Just crazy. And so we trek back to the doctor on Monday of this this past week and uh, we go and they're just checking him out and Trent's has so many ear infections he doesn't feel them anymore. It's strange. Like an ear infection that would totally put you in pain doesn't affect him. And so he's had one of those and started on some heavy duty antibiotic on Monday. But when we went to the doctor, uh, he and I are in there and his doctor's a good doctor. But he's kind of rough. Used to be a military guy. And he looked in Trent's good ear, his right ear that has the infection, and he saw a bunch of infection. So he got a vacuum. Now imagine if you have an ear infection. Somebody vacuuming, suctioning out all the infection. And when he did, Trent looked at me and he started to grip the seat. And then big old tears just started rolling out of his eyes on either side. And Trent's pretty tough. And he looked at me like, Dad, do something. Nothing I can do. Except what? Be there. Like I'm in front of him and I'm not saying anything because he can't hear. His bad ear, he can't hear. And his good one's got a vacuum cleaner in it. So no help to say a word. So I'm looking at him and everything on my face was, you can do this. He can read lips well. I said, you can do this. You can do this. And he just cringed. And then he just kind of screamed out in pain as the doctor was taking all that off. So two days later, that ear starts bleeding. And on Friday morning, we're headed back to Charlotte. Trent's asleep, 6.30 in the morning. I'm driving down the road, and I'm just a bit weary. And I'm praying. And I said, God, I have said, I don't know how many times to myself, do not grow weary in doing well, for you will reap in due season if you do not faint. Do not grow weary in doing well, for you will reap in due season if you do not faint. But I'm weary. Like I'm trying not to grow weary. Any of you been there lately? And this is, for two hours, Trent was asleep, and God just settled into my Jeep. And he and I hung out for two hours. And do you know what he clearly communicated to me? I said, Jerry, however you dread watching your son go through that again, I dread watching you, watching your son go through it.
I'm his dad and yours too. Whatever you feel, I feel even more. And as I sat in my Jeep, I realized I was the one sitting in the chair looking over at God the Father, gripping it, saying, no, I want to go through this again. And he, because I just finished preparing the sermon the day before, said, son, I am with you. What, church? Even to the end of the age. That is why we can make disciples. The promise of his power and the promise of his presence. I want you to think about it for a moment and we're done. If he only gave us his power, we'd be scared of him. Amen? We would. If he only gave us his presence, we'd be scared of our circumstances. But the promise of his power and the promise of his presence enable us to accomplish the mission of his church, which is to make disciples. Two questions for you. Number one, how are you growing? How are you growing? Number two, who are you growing? Who are you growing? Parents, children, no doubt. Your number one priority. As a matter of fact, if it went through right at 1030, a blog I wrote on Thursday should have popped up, giving you some great insight into how you need to be invested in your kids' lives as parents also in that blog is mission trip opportunities in 2014 around the world and here in the United States when Freddie Grant gets those together you'll have several weeks notice mission trip opportunities who are you growing let's pray